Ah, yes. Hello there. This is going to be Masterpiece Theater with yours truly, Hey Elliot from the Hey Elliot Podcast. And folks, have I got a treat for you. This is me getting my stuff ready because I'm totally unprepared. We're going to do this. We're going to do this for my loyal listeners out there. It's going to be absolutely free. But um, for the holidays, I'm going to read you a story. A story that's spoken to me every holiday season. Mainly because I've seen, for the last few years, a, uh, a rendition of this. Um, for maybe five or six years, every year, at the Omaha Community Playhouse, they have a sign night. And I had a friend who did sign language. And she would invite me to go with her to the sign night. And so I would watch a wonderful performance of A Christmas Carol. It was the same one, same actor, wonderful actor. I wish I could give him props, say his name, but I cannot because I don't remember it. But he's an amazing actor. And his performance as Scrooge of A Christmas Carol... It is uh it is a great um performance. And then um <clears throat> I have also uh listened to uh interview with uh oh is it Patrick's not it's either Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart or Sir Ian McKellen. I am unsure I guess I'm completely I have no notes in front of me. <laughs> I think it's Sir Ian McKellen. He does uh he does his own play or re- live reading of A Christmas Carol every year. So I'm sure you can find his version for it. But for the Haliot podcast, let's read A Christmas Carol in prose, being a Christmas story of Christmas. I do have some rum here, which I will be sipping. Also, oh, it's, um, well, it's, it's imported. It's uh, Caribbean spiced rum. They spice it in the Caribbean. They ship it over. Delicious stuff. Don't know if you've ever had it, but it's a lot of uh, probably caramel, I think it is. Also, I know it seems long-winded, but you know what? It's only about 50 pages of this book I have. Um, From what someone told me is it tends to be long-winded because they uh, paid in uh, by the word, so... Um, Mr. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Charles Dickens here can be quite verbose, and therefore I will try to honor that verboseness right here. So let's begin here. It opens with a um, with a quote. Um, no, it opens with like okay here. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not be put. Which, ah, fuck, messed it up. I can't read. I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly and no one wish to lay it. Their faithful friend and servant, Charles Dickens, December 1843. Oh, man. Are you excited? <clears throat> um, I am. Maybe I should have a sip of my uh, my Christmassy drink here. I hope this is not too loud. It's really up close to my face. Here we go. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just stuff. All right. 
All right, now that I got my uh, spinach, let's begin, shall we? Shall we? <clears throat> stave one. I don't know what a stave is. Stave one. Marley's ghost. Marley was dead to begin with. There's no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner. Scrooge signed it, and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind! Exclamation point. I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge that there is particularly... Oh, Jesus. See, this is what they're talking about. <laughs> what there is particularly dead about a doornail. I might have been <clears throat> inclined by... See, you know what this is? Sorry, but <laughs> this is a lot like my podcast. It's like, all right, if I were to get paid by the word, this is what you would hear every half hour. The same thing. Okay, sorry. Old Marley was dead as a doornail. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge... What there is particularly dead about a doornail, I might have been inclined myself to regard a coffin nail as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade. But the wisdom of our ancestors is in the simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it. Are the countries, are the countries done for, or the countries done for? You will therefore. Permit me, empathetically, that Marley was as dead as a doornail. Now give him a check for that paragraph. See? Exactly. All right. Scrooge knew he was dead. Whoops. Scrooge knew he was dead? Question mark. Of course he did. How could it be otherwise? Scrooge and he were... You know, this, you know what? I think Charles Dickens is my spirit animal. Scrooge and he were partners for I don't know how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole residuality, his sole friend, and sole mourner. And even Scrooge was not so dreadfully cut up by the sad event, but that he was an excellent man of business on the very day of the funeral and solemnist. It was with an undoubted bargain. Whatever, I don't know what that means. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. There is no doubt that Marley was dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come from the story I am going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in the easterly wind upon his own ramparts, ramparts, I apologize, than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say, St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood. Oh, painted out. Okay, okay I got it. I got it. It's, it's, it's above, above the window and stuff. It still said Marley. All right. Got it. Scrooge never painted out old Marley's name. There it stood, years afterwards, above the warehouse door. Scrooge, see, I, it just took me a second. Scrooge and Marley, the firm was known as Scrooge and Marley. Sometimes people knew 
to the business called Scrooge Scrooge and sometimes Marley, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. Oh! Exclamation point. But he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. A frosty rhyme was on his head and on his eyebrows and his wiry chin, which I think we've mentioned before. He carried his own low temperature always about him when he iced his office in the dog days and in thought one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no where are we getting at? No wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was better than he. No falling snow was. Get ready for it. Get what, what word is he going to use? No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose. No pelting rain less open to entreaty. Foul weather didn't know where to have him. The heaviest rain and snow and hail and sleet could boast of advantage over him in only one respect. They often came down handsomely, and Scrooge never did. On that note, I'm going to have some more rum here. Give me give me one memento here. Oh, my goodness. That was a whole uh, page. That was one page. There's about 60 pages in this, so we're in this together now, people. Just hang out with me. Come on. It's Christmas. What are you going to do? Right? Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say, with gladsome looks, My dear Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place. Of Scrooge... Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming in, would tug their owners into doorways. Sorry, I'm trying to keep my legs propped up so I can keep this book, so I'm trying to figure this out here. Hold on. Okay, hold on. Give me a second. You got this? Okay, I got this. Even the blind men's dogs appeared to know him, and when they saw him coming on, would tug their owners into doorways and up courts, and then would wag tails... As though they said, no eye at all is better than an evil eye, dark master. Boy, that's a very... I wish my dog would have done that, but she doesn't. She doesn't care if Scrooge is coming or not. Ooh, I wonder if I do this. What if I just take my lamp? Here I am, taking my lamp. Okay, oh wow, look at that. Elliot, you're a genius. Now I can see, and I can drink. Okay. All right. <clears throat> but what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked to edge his way along the crowded paths of life, warning all human sympathy to keep its distance was what the knowing ones call nuts to Scrooge. 
Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. Isn't that right, folks? You know what I'm saying? It had not been light all day, and candles were flaring in the windows of the neighborhood, neighboring offices. Like ruddy smears upon the palpable brown air, the fog came pouring in at every chink and keyhole and was so dense without that although the court was of the narrowest oh my god I wish I could read that although the court was of the narrowest the houses opposite were mere phantoms to see the dingy cloud come drooping down obscuring everything and one might have thought that nature lived hard by and was brewing on a large scale Wow. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who, in the dismal little cell beyond, a sort of tank, was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. But he could replenish it, for Scrooge kept the coal box in its own room. And so surely as the clerk came in with the shovel, the master predicted that it would be necessary for them to part. What? Wherever the clerk put on his white comforter and tried to warm himself at the candle, in which effort, in which effort not being a man of strong imagination, he failed. A Merry Christmas, Uncle, and God save you cried a cheerful voice it was the voice of scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly that this was the first intimation he had of his approach bah said scrooge mumbug how was that he had so heated himself with rapid walking in the fog and frost this nephew of Scrooge's, that he was all in a glow. His face was ruddy and handsome. His eyes sparkled and his breath smoked again. Christmas a humbug, uncle? said Scrooge's nephew. You don't mean that I am sure. You don't mean that I am sure. I do, said Scrooge. Merry Christmas. What right do you have to be merry? No, he's not going to talk like that. He can't talk like that. What reason do you have to be merry? You're poor enough. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. <laughs> I don't know why to say it like that. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry. Come then, returned the nephew gaily. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Scrooge, having no better answer, ready. On the spur of the moment said, Bah! again, and followed up with humbug. Don't be cross, uncle, said the nephew. What else can I be, returned the uncle, when I live in a world of fools as this? Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older but an hour, not an hour richer? A time for balancing your books and having every item in them? 
through a round dozen of months present a debt against you? If I could work my will, said Scrooge indignantly. Every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart, he should. You know, I think I've said similar things to to people that I work with. So, you know, I guess we share the same sentiment. Ooh, that, ca- that rant caused for another uh, drink of rhyme. Rhyme? Rum. <laughs> okay. Uncle, pleaded the nephew. Nephew, returned the uncle sternly. I didn't say sternly, but I like to say it like that. Keep Christmas in your own way. Let it. Let me keep it in mine. Keep it. Respeeches. Oh, God. Okay. Keep it. Repeated, repeated Scrooge's nephew, but you don't keep it. Let me leave it alone then, said Scrooge. Much good it, may it do you. Much good it has ever done you. There are things from which I might have derived good, by which I have not profited, dare I say, returned the nephew. Christmas among the rest, but I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time. When it has come around, apart from the veneration due to its sacred name and origin, if anything belonging to it can be apart from that, as a good time, a kind for why would he even bother? Just say a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time I know of in a long calendar of the year when men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they really were fellow passengers to the grave and not another race of creatures bound on the bound on other journeys and therefore uncle though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket i believe it has done me good and will do me good and i say god bless it the clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety he poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark of ember oh wow Let's read that again. The, the clerk in the tank involuntarily applauded, becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety. He poked the fire and extinguished the last frail spark of, oh, spark forever. Oh my God! Should I just have another drink of rhyme, or rhyme after that? Drink of rhyme. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Let me hear another sound from you, said Scrooge, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. You're quite a powerful speaker, sir, he added, returning to his nephew. I wonder you don't go into Parliament. Don't be angry, Uncle. Come, dine with us tomorrow. Scrooge said that he would see him. Yes, indeed he did. He went the whole length of the expression and said that he would see him in the extremity first. But why? cried Scrooge's nephew. Why? Why did you get married? Uh oh. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna start talking my language. Why did you get married? Scrooge said Scrooge. Because I fell in love. Because you fell in love? growled Scrooge. I know he didn't growl in that one, but we're going with it. As if that were the only one thing in the world more ridiculous than a Merry Christmas. Good afternoon. 
Nay, uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon, said Scrooge. I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I have been a party. But I have made the trial an homage to Christmas, and I'll keep my Christmas humor to the last. So a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon, said Scrooge. His nephew left the room without an angry word. Notwithstanding, he stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk, who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge, for he returned them cordially. There's another fellow, muttered Oh, there's another fellow, muttered Scrooge, who overheard him. My clerk, with fifteen shillings a week and a wife and a family, talking about a merry Christmas. I'll retire to Bedlam. That's Arkham for you, uh, for you video game lovers out there. You're Batman lovers. This lunatic in letting Scrooge's nephew out had let two other people in. This, they're, they were portly gentlemen, pleasant to behold, and now stood with their hats off in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands and bowed to him. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe, said one of the gentlemen, referring to his list. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years, Scrooge replied. He died seven years ago this very night. <clears throat> he burped. <laughs> Sorry. We have no doubt his liberty is well represented by his surviving partner, said the gentleman. Should I make this the... um? Should I make this the uh, Mad Hatter's voice? We have no doubt this lads on that's horrible. Okay. We have no doubt this liberality was well for <laughs> I can do it, I promise. I'll do it some other time. We'll be uh represented by his surviving partner, the gentleman presenting his credentials. It certainly was. For they had been two kindred spirits. At the um, at the ominous entrance, at the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head and handed the credentials back. At this festive season of the year, Mister Scrooge, he said, said the gentleman taking up a pen, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provisions for the poor and destitute. Uh, who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comfort, sir. Are there no prisons? Asked Scrooge. Asked Scrooge. <laughs> Plenty of prisons, said the gentleman, laying down the pen again. And the union workhouses, demanded Scrooge, are they still in operation? They are still, returned the gentleman. I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigor, then, said Scrooge. Both very busy, sir. That's me trying to do my Mad Hatter. I can do it. I just can't do it right now. Give me a... Jesus, give me a break. 
Oh, I was afraid from what you said first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course, said Scrooge. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnished a Christian cheer of mind or body to the multitude, returned the gentleman. Oh my God, sorry. A few of us are endeavoring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. We chose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt, felt in abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing, Scrooge replied. Oh, you wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone, said Scrooge, said Elliot. <laughs> Since you ask what I wish, gentlemen, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough, and those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there, and many would rather die. If they would rather die, Scrooge said, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, excuse me, I don't know that. But you might know it, observed the gentleman. It is not my business. Scrooge returned. It is enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the gentleman withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself and in a more facetious, facetious, is that facetious, facetious? temper than it was than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened so that people ran about with flaring links, proffering their services to go before horses and carriages and conduct them on their way. The ancient tower of a church whose gruff old bell was always peeping slyly down at Scrooge out of a gothic window in the wall became invisible and struck the hours and quarters in the clock with tremulous vibrations afterwards as if its teeth were chattering in its frozen head up there. The cold became intense. The main street at the corner of the court. Some laborers were repairing the gas pipes and had lighted a great fire in a brazier. Brazier, sorry, not a brazier. <laughs> Round which a party of ragged men and boys were gathered, warming their hands and winking their eyes before the blaze and rupture. The water plug being left in solitude, its overflowing sullenly congealed and turned to misanthropic ice. The brightness of the shops where holly springs and berries crackled in the lamp. You know, you gotta hand it to him. Good lord. Like, it's like. He could have just went, um, a whole bunch and still get paid for an um, right? So he could have just went, um, the brightness of the shops, um, 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 where holly springs and berries crackled in the lamps. And he'd still get paid the same. But at least he's giving it a shot. You know what I mean? Okay. Made pale faces ruddy as they passed. 
poulterers and grocers' trades became a splendid joke, a glorious pageant with which it was next to impossible to believe that such dull principles as bargain and sale had anything to do. The Lord Mayor, in stronghold of the mighty mansion house, gave orders to his fifty cooks and butlers to keep Christmas as a Lord Mayor's household should. Household should, sorry. And even the little tailor, whom he had fined five shillings in the previous Monday for being drunk and bloodthirsty in the streets, stirred up tomorrow's pudding in his garret. Well, his lean wife and the baby sallied out. To buy the beef. Foggier yet. Oh, wow. Okay. Foggier yet. You know what? That uh, deserves a sip of wine. Oh, God. It's not wine. Sorry. Imported from the Caribbean. That's right. Foggier yet and colder. Piercing, searching, biting cold. If the good St. Dunstan had nipped the evil spirit's nose with a touch of such weather as that, instead of using his familiar weapons, then indeed he would have roared to lusty purpose. The owner of one scant young nose gnawed and mumbled by the hungry cold bones, gnawed by dogs, stooped down by Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. But at first the sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay. I think that's how the song is supposed to go. Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost. At length of the hour, shutting up the counting house arrived. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted to the fact to, admitted the fact to the expectant clerk in the tank, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. "'You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose,' said Scrooge. "'If quite convenient, sir.' "'It's not convenient,' said Scrooge. "'And it's not fair. "'If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used. "'I'll be bound?' the clerk smiled faintly. "'And yet,' said Scrooge. You don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work? The clerk observed that it was only once a year. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th December, said Scrooge, buttoning his great coat to the chin. But I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier next morning. The clerk was promised. The clerk promised that he would, and Scrooge walked out with a growl. The office was closed in a twinkling, and the clerk, with long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist, for he boasted no great coat, went down on a slide, went down a slide on Cornhill at the end of a lane, boys, 20 times in honor of its being Christmas. I don't know what that means, but let's keep going because this, <laughs> this might take a while. Christmas Eve then ran home to Camden Town as hard as he could pelt to play at Blind Man's Bluff. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. 
He lived in chambers, which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard, where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it must have run there when it was a young house, playing at hide-and-seek with other houses. This is pointless. You don't need this in here, Charles Dickens. And forgotten their way out again. It was old enough now and drear enough for nobody for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway that it seemed as if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the threshold. Oh man, oh my goodness. I'm going to get to the point where uh, something else happens. I'm not going to spoil this for you because you're going to sit here with me, but I'm going to have another drink here. Hold on. Oh, that's good stuff. Now, in fact, that there was nothing at all in particular about the knocker on the door except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also that Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as many men in the city of London, even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, aldermen, and livery. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker without its undergoing any intermediate process of change. Not a knocker, but Marley's face. <gasps> dun, 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 because he was dead. I think, uh, I don't know if uh, Charles Dickens pointed out at the beginning of the book, Enough, but Marley was dead. So how can his face, you know, be in the, the, little, the little knocker? How could his face be in the knocker? How, I mean, all right, you're going to have to stay tuned to part two for this to find out what's going to happen next, all right? This is the Halia Podcast, reading A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens.